Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. Journalist Jenny Young, TV reporter who I have admired so much, is here with me today. And I can't believe she's sitting across from me because I'm just so used to watching her on TV as the celebrity that she is. (laughs) And I get to see her live and in person. and It's so exciting. Jenny, welcome. Thank you for coming. You know what? Thank you for having me because like I told you when you reached out to me, your podcast has helped keep me sane as I have been working here for what, three and a half years. And it's 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 so nice to know that there are people out there who are rational. An incredible title, by the way. But thank you uh, for the work that you do. Because I know it's not easy. This is a lot of work that you put into this. Well, thank you for saying that. And I'm not, you know, obviously I want to clarify. I'm not, I'm not like you. Like, I'm not a professional journalist or anything. I'm just sort of like, I want to make sure that I hear f- lots of different perspectives from people. And um, it really means a lot to me from a professional to hear that. So I appreciate it. And I've just really enjoyed your coverage. And I saw your tweet um, pretty recently about, and I, you know, I was just, I was always following you and I just always really liked what you had to say. And then one night I was, I just got an alert that you had sent something out and it said, uh, I'm going to read it. It said in 2020, I tweeted about an anti-Zionist Palestinian speaker at a BLM rally. And I remember that tweet. I was covering. The speaker was praising the BDS movement, a global anti-Semitic campaign whose ultimate goal is to end the Jewish state. It's also currently, and you, you were talking about what it's also currently condoning. And you said that you say this as somebody who has lived in Israel. And you say, I have Palestinian friends whom I love and respect and have been in touch with since this past weekend. This is not about Israel versus Palestine. This is ultimately a battle between those who believe in freedom and those who are depraved barbarians. I'm grateful for the life lessons I learned during my time as a news reporter in Portland, and I'm thankful to be free from censorship. And you're announcing that you were leaving COIN, which is where mm-hmm. we were all, we'd all been watching you this whole time since you mm-hmm. moved to Portland from Oklahoma. Is that right? Where mm. you came from? Yeah, Tulsa. Tulsa, right. And so I was kind of, uh, I was astounded by your courage. And then selfishly, I was sad for myself because I just have really appreciated your reporting over the years. And my first question is, what caused you to believe that um, what, my, my guess is it, it's, it was the Hamas attack. Mm-hmm. And w- what caused you to believe that that was going to be the end of your career at COIN here in Portland? Well, I, that, that was my last day. Like that was already planned. O- October 9th was my, was already planned. Before the attack. Before the attack. Wow. And it was. So that was fortuitous for you. Yes. And I, I was awake Saturday night, the 7th, right? I was awake. It was like midnight and I was on Twitter X, you know, now known as X. And I was watching this happen and I was seeing 
these militants, I could, I'm going to cry if I don't start crying talking about this, but I was seeing these militants in Stetter. Well, it's, it's horrific. Yeah. And, and, instead of wrote in this community that I know, you know, it's in the South, it's right next to Gaza and they're all, you know, everybody instead of wrote and are in communities in the South in Israel have bomb shelters. Um, and they have to go in them very quickly, like when the sirens sound and you're used to that. I was, when I lived in Israel, there were two, what they call wars, but I wouldn't really classify them as wars. Not what we're seeing right now. They were more like flare ups, like Hamas would throw rockets or, and the iron dome would, would, you know, thank God for the Iron Dome technology, the missile defense system that Israel has, um, would, would catch them and, and, you know, Israel would attack and then there would be a ceasefire, right? But to see that these people are not sh- just shooting rockets, what they, which they were shooting 5,000 rockets, they shot 5,000 rockets, um, that they were in this town. And this is just the very beginning of these reports and videos that these citizens, these Israelis, their families are looking outside the windows, seeing these fighters. And you don't know how many there are. It doesn't look like there are very many. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what is happening? And I um, I messaged one of my dear friends that I talk to regularly, who's um, he's head of the Associated Press in the Middle East. He's a, the uh, head photog- uh, pho- uh, photo editor. And I said, what's going on? And he's like, it's really bad. And I, I thought, yeah, it is. I went to sleep and you wake up the next day and it's just worse by the hour, day after day after day. And so thank God that my last day at COIN was Monday because I would not have been silent. I would have probably been, I would have been fired. I would have been okay with it. And I've tweeted um, and posted on Instagram you know, over the last oh, week, yeah. you, you've unleashed on oh, your yeah. Instagram. I've noticed yeah. that. I was like, wow, it's Jenny yeah. unplugged. This is great. Yeah. Well, especially on this issue, because there's, this is where this, it's the separation of the herd. I will, I, I mean, I'm telling people like, if this is what you believe, if you believe that there are two sides to this issue and that there is a, but in your sentence, but the Israeli occupation, but you know, then, then we, I, we are no longer acquaintances or friends. I do not want to know you because this is about, this is a second home. Holocaust. And that's how strongly I feel about it. But I tweeted one thing that really upset me, and I knew this was going to happen. Um, the the cor- corporate media, national media, local media, will not call Hamas terrorists. And that beca- that's because of the Associated Press style guide. All corporate media, as, yeah, as Andy knows, follows that, follows the style guide. And a while ago, I don't know how many years ago, the Associated Press said, okay, we are not going to call um, any group a terrorist group because, hey, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Okay, well, absolutely not in this case. So I called the corporate media out and I said, listen, News directors, news le- newsroom leaders around the country need to stand up. They need to deviate from the Associated Press standard in this. And if they're not going to do that, then journalists need to push back because this is this this is a terrorist group. And to call them anything but a terrorist group is it's it's just not fact. And the U.S. Department, you know, uh, uh, the U.S. government calls label classifies them a terrorist group. So I don't know where I was going with all of that, but um, I love to, I love to talk, Kristen. So. Yeah, please. No, yeah. I want to hear everything uh, you have to say. And I, I think w- a lot of people don't have context yeah. for what's going on in Gaza because they may not they may not be Jewish and passionate about the issue like you. And also, this is a word I stole from Nancy Rommelman, but Portland is very hermetic, and I think a lot of people haven't traveled. They certainly probably haven't lived in 
Israel like you have, a lot of people haven't, certainly if they're not Jewish. And this is not a religious city. And so yeah, we've got a lot of right. people floating around who right. don't have an under. They think they have an understanding of history because they've Googled it and they think they have an understanding of the conflict and they think it's just about two religions fighting. But, you know, they're, they're calling these Jewish people settlers. And I think what they, as my girlfriend said the other day, what they don't understand is that the Israelites have been there for 4,000 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not mm-hmm. a new system right. that was imposed upon them. Right. Right. And there, I mean, you can, you can do you, the history. I mean, the Palestinians have been g- given every opportunity, right. By, by, you know, by the Israelis to have, to have a state, right. And they don't, they, it's never enough. It's never going to be enough. And that's, I think what the issue is, is that, you know, this from, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free that they do not want Jews in Israel at all. And I would argue they don't want Jews to exist period because they're killing, you know, they, they have called to kill Jews across the world. Right. And so, um, I was just thankful again, that I was no longer employed at coin because I would have told my, my editors point blank, I will not, I will be referring to them as terrorists and you can, you know, you can write me up, you can fire me, but I'm not going to, I will not budge on that. It's about principle here for me. But, um, yeah, it's Portland. I, I joke and say, cause, because I lived in Israel for two years, um, and in my twenties and I say, I lived in the most holy place on earth in the most unholy place. And I'm a person of faith and I, but I'm a very reasonable person. I love dialogue. Right. And, um, I'm not a conservative. I'm not liberal. I'm, I fall pretty much in the middle and, you know, I'm an unaffiliated voter, right. I can't even vote in primaries here cause it's so not an stupid. open primary. Yeah, I know it's stupid. But, um, so it's just, it's not about politics. It's when it comes to what's going on happening in Israel, it's about good and evil and right and wrong. And, and I think so much of what you see in Portland with the, with this Free Palestine rally and what we saw with uh, the BLM riots because um, the the pro Palestinian uh, movement was a part of that. I think that a lot of people don't understand the issue. They're just Portland is a place where it's just like it's cool to follow, like follow, like whatever this group is believing, I'm going to follow, right? And so, I don't know. I yeah. Or if it sounds like it's on the left, we should be aligned because this is Portland and we're a right. leftist city. Right. And so people are just signing on to this stuff right. with right. no real concept about what, you know, the context that somebody like you, a religious Jewish person who actually lived in Israel would have. And they're just writing you off as, well, that's, you know, she's a religious person, so she's a stakeholder in this, as opposed to, I don't know, maybe a city that had some more religious citizens or a government that seemed more interested in not taking a side between not always picking the left side. Um, it might be different. How do you, I'm curious how you feel about the the local coverage because I've been following some of the local coverage, particularly coin. And, um, have you been following any of it? I've been following some of it. I've been following more of the national coverage, which I'm, as a decades-long New York Times subscriber, actually completely appalled about. Um, and it's part of the reason that I, my girlfriends and I were just talking about this the other day. It's it's part of the reason that, I, I mean, now I feel like I just am reading it for every once in a while there might be, they've started to wake up about Portland. Um, but in general, I was just paying a lot to read John McWhorter and it's become as 
my girlfriend said it's like a blog with a distinct political perspective it's just not objective news and for me does there's some grief in me I know this sounds silly but there's some grief in me saying that for re, you know I just I have great memories of enjoying that paper for a very long time and relying on it and not really feeling like I need to question a lot of what I was raising reading but I just don't trust it and I mean the headline what at least most you know some of their most recent headlines Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital Palestinians yeah. say and at least 500 dead in strike on Gaza hospital Palestinians say I mean they're just writing down what Hamas says right and it's and it's a passive voice and it's it's in th- I mean the headline you know it, they had to, and they didn't retract that, but they've they've tweaked it a couple of times, right? Because they're just like you said, writing down, you know, reporting what Hamas says, right? Yeah. And 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 it's kind of like, you know, they I think they get excited, like you know, I think CNN did the same thing. It's like, well, this is this could change the game, right? And it gives them it gives them um, ammo to start calling for like to change the narrative where we start calling for a ceasefire because that could very likely happen, right? If if this narrative slowly begins to change, I mean, you will have, I mean, poli- radical left politicians already want that. Um, but I wanna, I wanna comment on what you said about the New York Times and that you're a subscriber because I'm also a digital subscriber. It's cheaper, I think that- It's still expensive. Right, I still don't like giving them my money. <laughs> so good but, for you. But you have to, in a way, I think, be able to look I, I watch everything. I watch MSNBC. I watch CNBC. Well, yeah, NBC. I because because I want to know Fox News. I want to know what everyone is saying. Right. It's important, you know, that uh, to read the New York Times and see what they're saying. Even though when I read it, I get this like feeling in my, you know, in my being, in my body. Like you know, when they report information that is obviously slanted, it's just you feel this sense of injustice, and it just rises up in me. And you're just so, like, when is it going to stop? Right? When are you going to just be neutral? I realize that human nature, it goes against human nature to be neutral, but just, you know. But it didn't, I mean, you're a journalist. It didn't, am I just making this up? It didn't used to, right? Yeah, I mean. I mean, I'm probably a lot older than you, but we, we had, I just remember the news was your local channel, like what you were on, and then we had CNN, and that was it, and that was the news, and then we had papers. We had right. Washington Post, we had New York Times, we had... Um, if you were conservative, you read the the Washington um, Times, and uh, so you know everybody kind of had their. And then Fox came up, so then people would watch. Right leaning people seemed to be interested in Fox, and centrist left people seemed to be interested in CNN. Mm-hmm. But CNN still seemed relatively anodyne, and then I don't know, maybe it was with the advent of Fox, it just seemed like everybody took a corner. Yeah, well, and Trump as well, but definitely Fox. Um, th- th- people started taking a corner. Like it was almost but then, like CNN was like, maybe we should be political. I, I mean, yeah. I'm sure their ratings were not as good. I'm sure Fox has always had pretty good ratings. And my guess is maybe CNN was just like, well, geez, maybe we need to start taking a point of view here. Yeah, I think you definitely started seeing that um, more and more with Trump, right? Like they were so determined <laughs> to, you know, regardless of how you feel about Trump, they were definitely, I mean, the Russiagate stuff, like it was just every day, every day, all day, every show on CNN was Russiagate. And, you know, we saw how that turned out. And it's like, how can we trust you now? You know, and, and, and Fox, you know, does, you know, they do a lot of the same thing. But so this is why I think that it's important to, 
always be looking at everything and people on the far right and the far left really refuse to do that. They, you know, think it's, you know, it's a, a, a mortal sin to go look at Fox and vice versa, right? When not everybody at Fox, I mean, I, there are some very serious and very good reporters at Fox News, right? And I'm sure that there, are, you know, are some on, you know, and the other, you know, at CNN and MSNBC, but um, none that I've seen, but um, yeah, I, so yeah, don't quit. Don't quit reading the New York Times. I think it's important. Did you know? Also, I'll, I, I'll mention this about the New York Times. They um, were kind of. Let's see. How do you say this? They really didn't cover the Holocaust. They like like it needed to be covered. Um, they really had a you know a moral responsibility to cover that. And I was reading something the other day about how through through the war that like out of the like twenty six thousand articles written about the war, only like maybe two thousand were about the Holocaust. Maybe it was twelve thousand, but then there was an also another number in there. I don't know, you'll have to fact check that. But there's been a book written about it or maybe multiple books written about how they the New York Times really failed um, failed the Jewish people, failed the American people because they had 30 reporters in Europe at that time and just were not talking about the atrocities like they should. And it's like, I want to, you know, jump to what I was talking about when I mentioned local coverage. It had, it's, it's similar to what we're seeing in local coverage because coin, I think has done at this point four article, local articles, right? They post stuff from the Associated Press and things like that, but like four local articles. And there is nothing in any of these articles that talks about the atrocities that Hamas has inflicted on families. I mean, the, like the stories, as you know, if you're following it, day after day, we're seeing more stories of horrors. And and that's when I, you've seen this on Instagram, I say, don't look away. We can't look away. It's traumatizing. It's, it. I mean, I will break down watching this stuff, but don't look away because that's what people in Europe did, right? They looked away. And I, I think that you have a moral responsibility as a journalist and as a news organization to always remind people why we're at this Free Palestine rally, because that's an example of, of one of these articles. Nothing in the, 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 when the Free Palestine rally was covered by COIN, the rally on Friday, there was nothing about the, the horrors that we were seeing committed on Israelis, but it mentioned apartheid. It quoted some lady talking about apartheid, um, which don't even get me started about that. Um, because it's not a true apartheid what's happening. Um, you know, the, the, um, the, the conflict is not apartheid, but, um, and out of those four articles, it's just, it's there. I don't know if it's lazy journalism Biased journalism, a combination of both. They don't want to get, you know, they're scared maybe to get, you know, feedback or, or, or you know, threats from from Palestinian groups. I don't know. I think it's a combination of bias and laziness. But because, you know, I was a reporter and I know the deadlines and I know, you know, you have to turn stuff quickly, very, very quickly. You have only a couple of hours after your story is assigned. So anyway. And that's, I mean, obviously that's a lot of pressure, uh, Yeah, obviously. which yeah. makes me, I mean, that's part of why I respected you so much because I felt like your stories were very well, seemed to be very well edited and you had really no time. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's a lot of the reason that we see things that are, you know, not put into context fair, properly. Um, 
And, and it comes down to needing more staff, right? You need, and, but this is corporate media, right? They, they are cutting costs, right? They are loyal to shareholders. Um, and so they cut costs and then newsrooms suffer. Thus the public service that we offer suffers, right? Because, you know, instead of getting a couple of days to really work on a story and pre- like start it on Monday and really dig on it and present it on Friday. Yeah, truly investigative right, journalism. Right. But every, to me, every, and I heard our news director say this one time, and it's so true. Every story has an investigative angle. Every story can, unless it's just like a, you know, a fun human, human interest piece. But to have time to work on something and to look into just even a couple of days, right? Instead of a couple of hours, you're doing a, obviously a much better service to the public instead of just slapping something together, which you have to do every day because there's not the staffing. You're over there shaking your head. <laughs> Andy, I know people yeah, can't see Andy. Andy, Andy like, who's doing the, is a saint and is doing the video on this um, from Northwest Fresh podcast and on Spotify. You can check him out on YouTube he is nodding his head because he was in corporate media. Right. And he's not anymore. He's doing uh, other private sector stuff. Yeah, but, you know, beef up your... I mean, you don't have beat reporting anymore, right? You barely have investigative reporting. There will be like a, you know, one... I think every station here has one I team, one I investigative team reporter, but there's no beat reporting. So you're going in, like you need to have somebody covering education. You need to have somebody covering politics. You need to have somebody dedicated to those, to those, um, beats because you continue to, that reporter continues to build on, you know, information and really knows stories and can tell them, put them into context, um, in, in a shorter amount of time than you would anyway. But that's, yeah, d- with corporate media, it's, I, I, I like to say this about coin we're owned by next Star media group, which is the largest They own the largest, um, the most local news stations around the country, right? They merged with Tribune Media back in 2019, which the federal government, in my opinion, should have never approved that merger. Um, but they, their stock value is great. They turn out billion dollar quarters. Um, the CEO makes $40 million a year on top of bonuses. And I don't doubt that he's an incredible businessman, right? And good for you for being an incredible businessman and um, starting your company many, many years ago on a credit card. That's the story of him. But as a journalist, our values are in direct conflict. You're a business person. I'm a journalist. Like how, who's going to hold you accountable, right? When, you know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's, news has become, corporate news has become just a vehicle for ads, I mean, I am like, give me some of that ad revenue, right? Like, I, you know, I mean, I'm sometimes I think, well, maybe I should just go to ad sales, right? I mean, they make much, much, much more than we do, but I'm like, Hey, like I want to see some of that ad revenue. You're hanging that ad on, on, on my, you know, piece, you know, that's going to run, you know, my piece runs and then you have an ad run after that. And so anyway, that's, that's my take on corporate media. And I think that ultimately that had a lot to do with what you saw and the re- the repercussions of my tweet. It's like, okay, well, we don't want, you know, ratings to go down because of this. And, you know, we, I, and, and I don't know the, all the thoughts behind why they did what they did um, when, in terms of writing me up and 
Was this, this was in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So this was actually the Oregonian did a piece on it, July 1st of 2020. Civil rights organizations decry Portland TV reporters tweet about Palestinian liberation movement. And it says uh, leaders of civil rights organizations spoke out Tuesday night after a reporter from a Portland TV station tweeted a message that many groups viewed as anti-Palestinian from a professional account while covering a protest. Jenny Young, so they name you, Jenny Young, a reporter with COIN, was at a rally at Peninsula Park in North Portland and tweeted about a speaker who praised the BDS movement. BDS, which stands for Boycott, Divestment, Sanctions, is a Palestinian-led movement which upholds the principle that Palestinians are entitled to the same rights as the rest of humanity. And that's the extent of how they explain BDS. Then they go on to say, Young described the speaker who was not identified as openly anti-Zionist and the BDS movement as an anti-Semitic movement that's been admonished by U.S. lawmakers. According to the Palestinian BDS National Committee, the BDS movement fights against Israeli occupation of Palestinian land and discrimination against Palestinian citizens and refugees. The tweet came on the eve of Israel's expected announcement of plans to annex a massive portion of Palestinian land. See, see, already I know there's a point of view here. (laughs) Which is how they characterize BDS. Just, just her. Via just, their words. Yeah, yeah, via yeah. BDS's right. own words. BDS says right. this. Right. Yeah. So this is who they are. And then they go on to say, neither Young nor Coyne responded to requests for comment. Young deleted the tweet about an hour after she posted it, and it had drawn nearly 200 comments, most of which criticized the characterization of the BDS movement. Leaders of Portland's Muslim community publicly denounced the tweet, calling it, in one example, a consistent stream of attacks on Palestinian people, they just go on to talk about who else flagged it. Noted the Black Lives Matter movement has endorsed the BDS movement. Of course they I have. I don't know if that's supposed of to course mean they have. that therefore BDS is good. Because in 2020, we were just supposed to rubber stamp everything that came out of somebody who identified as BLM. Um, then now they're quote, then they go on to quote, this is good. I think this tweet is a repetition of a years long racist smear campaign against this nonviolent movement that urges economic pressure on Israel, said Olivia Katabi Smith, co-chair of the Portland Democratic Socialists of America chapter and board member of CARE, Oregon. CARE is the Oregon chapter of the Council on American Islamic relations. The BDS movement is inspired by South Africa's anti-apartheid movement. So so then they're quoting somebody from CARE, from the Democratic Socialists of America. Then they finally get around to quoting Bob Hornstein, spokesman for the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland, who says he felt the reporter's tweet was an oversimplification of the issue, but he said he also took ex- exception with some of the other organizations' characterization of the BDS movement. He said the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland had made their stance clear. I mean, he's a little, what's so interesting to me is he's somebody who identifies himself as a spokesman for the Jewish Federation of Greater Portland is like kind of equivocating, no, not kind of, equivocating about this. Yeah, he's trying to play both sides. And what's interesting is he reached out to my newsroom because he felt like, if I think I remember this correctly, he felt like maybe they they took his quote out of context it didn't yeah it didn't he it didn't he didn't mean it to sound at how it came across and he wanted me to reach out to him and talk to him about it I never did just because I was so overwhelmed with everything but um yeah with you know I told myself back then if if DSA is is coming out against me I'm doing something right yeah yeah I'm doing something right like 
Um, so it's just so interesting to me. I mean, I just think that's very revealing. There are people that are not, I wouldn't characterize as part of the fringe left that might have views about the Palestinian Israeli conflict that might be not in line with that view, but might be more Palestinian friendly that they cert- there are billions of them here in Portland, maybe not billions because we're not that big of a city, but I'm exaggerating for a fact that they could have quoted. And I love that they picked the top quote is from somebody from the democratic socialists of America. And like you said, if you're going to pick the fringe left person to represent the argument on this issue and BDS themselves, it kind of shows where the reporter's coming from and care. The, I mean, council, the care chapter, Council on Islamic American Islamic Relations, they, their 501c3 was revoked back in what, 2011, 2012? I mean, you'll have to fact check that, but it was revoked for, for some time because they had, I believe they had, they did something with their money and maybe that, that was, that was shady or they had some kind of um, ties with terrorist organizations. I mean, People on the right will call them straight out a terrorist organization, right? That they have ties to to um, Islamic jihad. Um, I'm going to get so probably rammed for saying that. Bring it on. I don't care. Like, but that organization is extremely biased and is not about, I mean, representing like, you know, Muslims and calling out um, hate against Muslims. What about your hate towards Jews? You know what I mean? In Israel, right? Because we know your stance on Israel, right? Like they try to, you'll see from time to time them standing up for some, some kind of hate crime against a Jew. But you, if you don't think Israel has a right to exist, then you're anti-Semitic. If you're anti-Zionist, then you're anti-Semitic. And I know a lot of people will come out and say, that's BS and that's not true, but it's true. At the heart, I mean, of every Jew is Israel, right? And Talk about that, because people, a lot of people aren't going to have the, you have the context and you've lived there and you have the religious context, but for the most of us in Portland who are the unchurched, Portlanders and many of whom probably certainly haven't lived in Israel. Talk about why you believe that. The Jewish people don't, if they don't have a homeland, where are they going to be protected? I mean, ultimately every Jew lives with this existential threat that I will not, I mean, I, I am somebody that they're out to get right and not in a not a victim mentality but you just put your head down and do your work and and you know live your life right but you know that in the back you know in the back of your mind that you remember the holocaust right you know that there's anti-semitism all over the world right um i i have a my my dearest friend here um you know she grew up in a small town in boston and she there was not any Jews really in her community. And she came home one day from school and said, mom, this girl at school called me, or this boy at school called me a dyke. What is that? And and, and like, what, what is that? And her mom was like, explain what that was. And she says, well, that's not what I am. And her mom explained that they didn't call you a dyke. They called you a kike. And she remembers her, you know, in elementary school, when they would celebrate Christmas, the teacher would say, Morgan's different. She's different. She does Santa doesn't come see her. She doesn't celebrate Christmas. She celebrates Hanukkah. I mean, and she's not religious at all. And 
she, she, I mean, carrying that shame, I don't care how strong of a person you are, there's going to be some inherent shame and some inherent fear, right? And so this has rocked her world. Her, her niece, who still lives in that town, came home the other day and told her mom, told Morgan's mother, hey, um, Sugar, did you hear that there's a war? And she, the grandmother responded and said, yeah, in Ukraine, and tried to explain it to her. She said, no, in Israel, they're killing Jews. I'm Jewish. Are they going to kill me? And I could cry thinking about, you know, retelling that story. And um, the grandmother got out a, a map and showed her where Israel is and how far away it is. But the truth is, is like, you know, Hamas was calling for jihad all over the world, right? You think about the Jewish day schools and the temples and the JC, the Jew, the Jewish community, uh, the JCCs that had, I mean, can you imagine the fear? I mean, we were not going to go out. I really wanted to go to temple on Friday, but you know, you just can't. I mean, I printed off some posts, some flyers. I stand with Israel flyers and I printed off several, um, a couple hundred to pass out around the community because you saw that with BLM, right? Every business that took a BLM flyer, and I was like, well, maybe they'll want to take these. This is an important, this is important, I think, to put in your window. And I put it in mine, and I'm, I'm just somewhat ashamed to say this, but I took it down because I'm single. I live alone. And I got scared that night. And I hate saying that, but, and I think if I didn't have a dog, because I don't want someone to hurt my dog. <laughs> You know what I mean? And so I think if I didn't have a dog and he was my, like, you know, my, my baby, um, I probably wouldn't have, but I got to thinking, what if somebody hurt, tries to hurt him? You know, I just don't want to be a target. And of course my, you know, my family's like, do not be, they have no idea how active I am on social media. Right. Because they just do not want me to be a target. Right. They even said, don't do this podcast. But, um, I, but it's really, especially in Portland, it is out there, right? Especially um, as inclusive as Portland likes to say they are. What about when you're call, saying in this house, it, we yeah. believe, yeah. Yeah. Oh my Everyone God. Everyone is know. human. Yes. Yeah. Right. So um, I don't know. I don't remember where we were going with that, but oh, we were talking about anti-Zionism. Um, at the heart of every Jew is Israel, unless you really just hate being Jewish and because there are some Jews who are who say no I don't I don't believe in uh the the occupation and and nobody wants that right nobody wants what is happening you know in Israel like there needs to be a diplomatic solution right um nobody wants Palestinians to suffer right um but what choice do you have when they're sending rockets over constantly, right? What choice do you have? So if you, I mean, the Jews have to have a homeland, right? If I, I would not live in Europe. I mean, America and Israel is, are the only two places Jews are safe, I believe. And they have to have a homeland to be safe. So if you do not believe that they have a right to a homeland, then in essence, you believe that they don't have a right to be safe. safe. And It's just Zionism and Judaism are, are in, in my opinion, one. They're, they're one. And a lot of people disagree with that, but I don't, I don't even think it's an argument. And I think it's important to note 
Portlanders may not know this, and it sounds, this is going to sound axiomatic, of course, to Jenny and probably any Jewish listeners, but being Jewish is not just a religion. Like, I converted to Catholicism, but that's, Catholicism is not an ethnicity. Being Jewish is an ethnicity, and in fact, Jews are predisposed to certain diseases they do different kinds of genetic testing on Jewish people to see if they have carry certain cancers and things like that. So it's a little different than just this is my religion and this is what I believe in. It's a religious war. I mean, when you say it's our people, you mean literally this is your lineage. This is where you come from, your your blood right. and your body. Right. And right. I just think that's so it's. I'm not saying Muslim don't, Muslims don't have that, but what I am saying is Jewish people, that's one of the religions that is, is also a, an ethnicity. And when people ask your ethnicity and somebody says Jewish, it's ge- generally you don't do a double take like you might if you said Protestant. So it's, it's, very, it's a very u- unique and distinct culture. Yes. It's a religion, it's a culture, mm-hmm. it's genetic. Mm-hmm. Right. It goes so deep. And many of the Jews I know um, are identify as culturally Jewish, but not religious. And, you know, everybody really celebrates Passover, um, most everybody, even non-religious Jews. But, um, you know, before the state of Israel was established, Zionists were, the first Zionists were, it was a secular movement, right? And they just wanted a place to be safe, right? And then the British were like, here, you can, you know, you can have this. But I just, to come out against the state of Israel is just to come out against a Jew, right? To, to say, like BLM, like Patrice, I don't know her last name, the you know, founder, BLM, saying that it shouldn't exist, that's like saying I shouldn't exist. You know, what if I need, you know, it's, it's maddening. It's maddening that people can support this. I think it's really brave of you to explain all that and to come on and, and explain all that to us because people may not understand your passion about this or they may think, oh, it's, this is a political thing. This is more of a this is kind of a, it might be like a right-wing talking point, which is kind of funny because they also accuse right-wingers of being anti-Semitic and racist, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it, I think it's difficult for people to, um, especially Portlanders who want to just dismiss any kind of support for Israel, it's difficult for them to categorize or pigeonhole it. And so they'll just say, I think in general, what I'm hearing around town is, oh, this is a religious war. They've been fighting for a long time. Like, we don't really need to take sides here. It's really complicated. And then they'll throw in something like, if you understand the history, and it's like, most Portlanders don't understand the history, like Jenny Young sitting across from me here. Most Portlanders have not lived in Israel. Many are not Jewish. This isn't, it's not really known as a Jewish city. But, and this is why the, the corporate media needs to be showing these atrocities and talking about them. The local media has a responsibility because if you see these, what is happening, if you see women 
or hear, I mean, there was not, there's not video of this, but there's accounts of women at that festival lying next to their dead best friend while being raped by Hamas. Hamas admitting to, to, to Mossad interrogators that they're raping children. They're horroring, horroring them. They're dirtying them. That's what they do. When you see these things, I, I saw a video the other day where they were holding a family hostage. Like they had just broken into their, their home or holding them hostage. They had shot the dad. And then they made the son. He was probably early teenager. Hamas fighters made the son go around the village and ask his neighbors to come out. Like he was the one, this boy, his family had already been injured. They're being held hostage by Hamas. And in order to lure other families out, he, the Hamas made him go around and say, come out, it's safe. And it, this is just one of so many stories. And the, and, and the, I call going out because I read their coverage. I'm sure, I don't know about the others, but you have a responsibility to be talking about this. It's like, the, like I mentioned about the New York Times. They had a responsibility to constantly be showing the horrors of the Holocaust. Because if you see what is happening, there is no way you can remain neutral and call it a religious war. No, it is a war against Jews. It is murdering Jews. They do not want Jews to exist. So it, it, and that... that and I said this in a, in a in a post the other day that you know the the Free Palestine movement, um, the, the Free Palestine voice is loud. We need to be louder. I mean, your complacency is complacency to me is just as bad. Complacency in anything in life is you know it, it, it can be destructive. And in this case, yeah, everybody just turns their head and it's just easier to not deal with it. Just like what we see on the streets of Portland, right? This is how Portland has gotten so bad, you know, because it's like oh well. There are about two sides to every issue. I can understand why that person, you know, is a drug addict and, you know, is on the streets. And it's like, well, okay, but he leaves his fentanyl laying around and kids get it. You know what I mean? It's like the complacency gets you. It is, just, I think it's extremely destructive. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's almost Orwellian. We were talking about this off mic and you were talking about like the term houseless neighbors <laughs> instead of just describing it as what it is which is an open air insane asylum and drug market yes that's a good way and to put people it people who aren't able to manage their lives yeah. and it's i mean that was my dad that is my sister i these are people who i think in my opinion need intervention and help and we're not we just don't seem interested in doing that there's some sort of idea that that they have autonomy even mm -hmm. though there's absolutely no insight into their addiction, into how bad their addiction is, into how bad their life is, into their mental illnesses. I mean, clearly these are not people who are medicated and able to get a job once they get housing, as the narrative goes. People think it's a, a conspiracy that they're sending, that other states send people here. And it's not. I covered homeless stories multiple times a week, it felt like. And every time I covered a homeless story, I always tried to make a point to go talk to homeless individuals. Because they're, you know, they're normal. When they're not high, these people, I love talking to them, right? And you, and I, even when I'm not working, I'll just, you know, just say, hey, what's your story? How are you? And so many of them are like, yeah, I'm from such and such. I just knew that they, I knew that they had homeless services here and I knew that you could do drugs. And I mean, I, I'll tell you one story about a guy that, um, 
I saw in the parking lot of a school right off of Broadway, like a preschool off of Broadway, and he was slumped over, and he had a big uh, wagon, and it had a TV in it, I'm sure stolen. He was slumped over, and he had, and I walked over to him, and I saw he had some money and a crack pipe in his hand. And I said, he woke up as I walked over there, and I said, hey, just don't leave your drugs in this parking lot. He's like, I won't. I'll leave it cleaner than I left it. And then, so I thought, I'll talk to him. And I just said, what's your story? And he's like, and he, you can tell so many of these folks, very attractive. Like, you can see it beyond, like, if they could just get their life together and, like, you know, get a haircut, get a shape. They're very, like, they have, I mean, this guy was a, an, an attractive guy. And I said, what's your story? And he said, he used to be a stockbroker. He had a bachelor's. He used to be a stockbroker. And I think in his 30s, he started, um, he and his friend went out and took drugs. And it's just, it's that sort I don't have a brain that gets addicted to drugs, thank God. I, I you know, I'm addicted to sugar. Everybody, I think, has an addiction. <laughs> but it just ha- so happens that his brain, right, like has whatever disposition, predisposition to be addicted to that thing. And some people can do it recreationally and others it ruins their life after one time. And that's what happened to him. He said, my company sent me to rehab and it just, I couldn't kick the drugs. And here he is. Super nice guy, smart. And that's the story of a lot of these people. And, but that at at the same time, like that doesn't give you a right to leave drug paraphernalia on in, in a school parking lot. That doesn't give you a right to leave needles around. That doesn't give you a right to get high and potential on the street and potentially hurt me right? Because you're high out of your mind. And I mean, I can't, I get a parking ticket. I'm notorious for just parking because I have this attitude. If you can shit on the street anywhere you want and set up your tent on the street anywhere you want, then I should be able to park for free and not, but I get a parking ticket. I park in front of a tent, excuse me. I park in front of a tent that should not legally should not be there. Well, cause you can pay the ticket and the city knows that. So, right. Yeah, right. They can, collect their paycheck from you but the responsible like people who are responsible and again I don't want to pass judgment on people who have you know I've known addicts you know and I I know they hold you accountable right they hold me yeah right but they're not going to hold anybody or they're not going to use accountability I mean look we can talk about how people who are out of their minds because of mental illness and drugs um, it's difficult to hold people who are high and and mentally ill accountable and I I could be persuaded by that and I probably am but I think we can use accountability as a way Kevin Barton talked about this when he came on the podcast at the Washington County District Attorney you can he and he uses these tools in Washington County in Washington Clackamas County they have drug courts and they use these tools of accountability to help incentivize people to get off of drugs to get medicated Kevin has a mental health court we could really use a mental health court in Multnomah County. Why don't we have that? Right. Why don't we have drug court for lower level offenses anymore? Because we have commissioners who are too busy trying to pass out FOIL. After day, how many times do people have to go and me and the media have to listen to these plights? I mean, and they go and they sit in front of commissioners and city council and tell these stories about how their families are being harmed and nothing gets done. Instead, the opposite. 
I mean, I lost it whenever I wasn't working at the time I was on leave whenever, and I wasn't reading a lot of news. And I, but I did see that about Moulton, the commissioners trying to pass out the foil and I, foil. And I thought I, this is why I had to get out of corporate media because we're doing the same stories every day for what, three years? Cause it really started after COVID the same stories and they get worse and it's, doing the same stories and nothing is changing. And then what we don't do is we all go home. Everybody lives in there. Not me. I don't live in a bubble. I like, you know, these things really impact me, right? Because I care. This is not my city, but I care about the people I talk to that are hurt by this. I care about the homeless people who are hurt by this, right? You are not doing them any favors, right? But I truly take it home with me and I've had to learn to not do that, but it's still a challenge. And so when I see nothing being done, I, I, it's maddening to me. And I just, I, I get upset with my leaders in the newsroom. Like if Ted Wheeler isn't answering my email over and over and over, we need to be in his office with a camera that needs to be a policy of ours. That if, 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 if Jessica Vader, Vega Peterson won't do an on-camera interview over and over and over, and I, that, that's not something that hap- has happened, but these people will and do. Why is that? Is it, I mean, what, why is it that they the response is? I guess my question is why why isn't that occurring? In my opinion, it's because what back to what I was saying about living in a bubble. It's so much. It, my I don't know about other newsrooms, but my newsroom is a microcosm of Portland. It's very laid back. There's not a lot of accountability or any, um, and um, it's very laid back. And people just want to enjoy their life. A lot of people are single, don't have kids, so it doesn't impact them the way it would somebody with a family and children. And so it's like, well, or they're very, or they're very much, they're neutral or they're very much on the right. I mean, left, excuse me. But it's, it's just the truth. Like they live in a bubble, in my opinion, and it is a microcosm of Portland. Let's just have fun. Let's not be confrontational. I remember one of our, um, I remember Jeff Giannola saying this one time, reporters in Portland are too nice. And it's true. It's true, Kristen. When I moved here, I, you know, very competitive, not in terms of my colleagues, but with other stations, like we need to get there first. We need, you know, we need to get the scoop. We need to get there first. And I, it was, I, it's just not that way here, right? People are so nervous that they're going to upset somebody. And I had to really step back and this happened in 2020 because I would see these like inconsistencies with BLM and this, just this hypocrisy. And I would call, I would say things in these, my, my meetings with my, with my, you know, bosses and that like, Hey, um, we need to be reporting on this. And it's like, you know, there's just this like, well, we just don't want to deal with it, right? We don't want the confrontation. And instead of like, so I decided, okay, Jenny, are you going to have an uphill battle all the time fighting back or where these people are going to hate you? You're, they're, you're going to cause, they're not going to like you. People in your newsroom are not going to like you or, and you're not really probably going to make change. Just, it's just going to be an uphill battle. And I think I just decided, okay, I would rather be, I'd rather have peace with my colleagues than continue this uphill battle of just trying to fight for, you know, hey, this headline really is um, a little misleading, you know, or, hey, this is happening at these rallies. Maybe we should report on this, right? Um, Or, hey, Ted Wheeler hasn't answered our emails in weeks. 
Why don't all the news directors in Portland get together and have a sit down with him and say, this is how it's going to be. You can't hide from the media. Um, and so, again, I think it's just complacency and I am not a complacent person. And I think I had, I had to really temper that part of my personality to just kind of the go along to get along. And I would stay frustrated. And I, and that's why I told you your, your podcast was an outlet for me because it was like, okay, there are people out there who agree with this. And this, this is an outlet for me being able to say, this is what I experienced. And it was frustrating as hell. I'm glad it's over. But I just think it comes down to the newsrooms in Portland are very much like the city of Portland, right? Um, so this is cultural. I think so. This In this sort of sense, lack of urgency. Yes. And inability to... Do, I mean, do you feel... I mean, I feel this way. Do you feel that the media has a responsibility to be the quote-unquote fourth estate, to be the part of the checks and balances on the government? Absolutely. And we love to say we hold the powerful uh, accountable, speak truth to power. But really, are you? Because this the mayor hasn't responded to me. They can just send some silly statement. Hey, he went for God knows how long not talking to us on camera. And then I think we finally we did finally, you know, call him out on it. I think one of our editors, but it was after months and it it never should go on that long. It ne- he he should he should be conditioned. Right? We should be in a place where we con- we bother him so much that we condition him to be media friendly, right? You know, it's I don't know. It's it is cultural, right? We don't want to upset anybody. Portland's parrot very passive aggressive, um, and I'm just kind of aggressive. Like you know, you kind of know you know where you stand with me, and um, people don't like that. I know it's very it's culturally upsetting to them it's like yeah. it's like offensive yeah it is but I mean you don't get They're anywhere offended by everything you here. don't get anywhere unless you speak the truth you don't get you know nothing changes right nothing and you're changes. just trying to do your job mm-hmm. that's part of what's so funny like they're offended by you doing your job I mean we're not even really talking about on this level in regard to our opinions we're not even really talking about a style we're talking about what you and I think is required of a journalist or a reporter that's just not getting done right so I, yeah. it's not even like stylistically this just doesn't work here it's it's more like I don't know we can't really do this job here right that's that's how I felt and I, I, I some of my colleagues felt that way Lisa Balik is really good about just hitting them hard right but she's kind of an island I mean she's been here for so long that when she sees you know a lack of leadership she's like look there's nothing I can do about it but she just keeps and keeps going you know and and doing her thing but you have to continue you need everybody to be like that everybody in your newsroom needs to be like Elisa Balik who is just holding people's feet to the fire and because it gets lost. If, if not, if everybody's not like that, if you don't have the collective that are doing that, it gets lost in the headlines. It gets lost in the newscast. You know, one, you can't just have one reporter who's, you know, carrying the weight of everybody else. Right. And, and every, every other headline is, or, or you know, is either or story is either slanted or, or just passive. Right. So, anyway. so were you give because I, I really liked your coverage of 2020. And when I told people that you were coming on here, one of the questions that I got, and I thought this was a good one, 
they were all good ones, but I thought this was, I was thinking about this too. Did you get any talking points or guidelines from COIN during the summer of 2020? No, not directly, but there was this underlying, um, you just knew that you couldn't be against in any way. You couldn't really talk about the truth about BLM. I'm going to tell you this. This was wild. Um, the first night that they, remember the first um, protest, that first night where they started burning, I think they burned the Justice Center and things got really, really out of control. I'd never seen anything like that. Yeah, Nathan Vasquez talked about that when he came on here because he was in the jail when they set fire to it. Nathan Vasquez, who's running for yeah. district attorney in Multnomah County. Right. Yeah, he was in the jail. Yes, I, I. it's hard to forget that. So there was, I had never seen anything like that. We were, I had a big, I was had a flashbang that hit me and I had a big bruise the next day. We were tear gassed. And I remember thinking, oh, it's time to go home. And they're like, no, you have to get up. And we just kept reporting for hours, right? Um, but that night I because I had never covered anything like that. I just asked what the question I thought was appropriate, which I said, hey, I stuck my mic in someone's face and said, hey, like, why are you out here? Okay, well, do you think, and they explained, and said, do you think this destruction is uh, going to get you anywhere? Is it, it's, is it going to, you know, help your movement, your cause? I got a text immediately from the main anchor who's no longer there saying, do not ask that, because it was a live report. Do not ask them that question. What? What? Why are you telling me I can't ask a question? Was there ever a response about why? I think the person was, he didn't know what to say. I can't remember. It was a chaotic night. Um, but was it your sense? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, or was there a response from the, this anchor? Yes. Oh, again, go along to get along. I, um, I was new. I mean, this was, I had been there since the end of 2019 and I knew how they, I, I knew that I was a little, my personality was a little too much. And so I was tempering <laughs> it. Right. And so I didn't, you know, this is a woman who's been in, you know, this business for a long time. She's the lead anchor here. And I don't remember if I, I don't remember if I pushed back. I think, I think I just said, okay. But inside I was fuming. I was like, how dare you? First of all, you're not my boss. Second of all, that's crazy. Like we know, and she, we, and I knew throughout that whole thing, which side, which side she stood on, which we shouldn't have had sides. Right. But we should have been able to call out what BLM was doing. I will never, and, and I, I tweeted one night about the, B, the leader of the BLM chapter in Portland, I can't think of her name, but she was on a loud, uh, on one of the megaphones and there was a line of cops. I don't remember, we were in downtown and I don't remember exactly where we were, but there was a line of cops, you know, protecting some building and there was a group of people, it wasn't a huge group. This was whenever the, the protest, the riot for that night, they would it would kind of break out, right? They would have the big right, and then it would break out. And so there was just probably, you know, a dozen or pe dozen people at this one spot where there was, where, was, there, was, where this, there was this line of cops, and sh there was a black cop in that line. And she was calling him a coon, an Uncle Tom. They would say things to cops like, you should die, your family should die. And I remember tweeting that, and that should have been a headline. That should have been a headline, a coin headline. 
But it was that kind of stuff that would just like go ignored, right? Like, okay, we're just going to kind of pretend that that's not happening. Antifa threatens you nightly, calls you a C-U-N-T, calls you a B-I-T-C-H, threatens your life. And we had to have security every night. But we're just going to kind of pretend that, well, we're not going to make the story about the journalists. I'm not saying we should do that, but we should say what these people are doing. They call themselves anti-fascists, but they're fascists in, in nature. And we're just going to like, pretend that's not happening. And I, when I say that, I mean my, the leaders in my newsroom. And, you know, they would always, they wanted plausible deniability. Well, are you, do you feel, are you okay? Like, do you feel safe? You know, if you don't feel safe, you know, we, safety is the biggest priority for us, right? And we all know that that's plausible deniability, right? In case something happens to one of us, right? But um, yeah, there, there should have been more fair there should have been better coverage of what the other side the anti-cop side was doing they would I don't know I'm sure you've heard about this but they would watch and I think I probably tweeted about this as well they would watch as cops would leave the downtown central precinct right you remember this and call out their license plate numbers I, or look up their license plate numbers. Yeah, and I only know some of the details because Aaron Schmautz, who's the head of the PPA, came on here. Oh, yeah. At the Portland I love Police Aaron. Association. Well, it's, I don't want to derail your story, but yeah, we should talk about Aaron and why he's, I think I think he is the best thing that ever happened to the PPA. I he's really a good do. person. He's fair. He is so fair. And the problem is, is the public doesn't get to see this. I know. And my I, producers that don't know Aaron try to malign him in stories. I've seen it happen. And there are producers. He's like, Jenny, I don't want to talk to them because I don't trust what they're going to do with what I tell them. And it's true because they don't, they can't believe that any cops are good. Right. And they can't believe that any like police union head. And I'll admit, I mean, this was me before Aaron and I. So before Aaron and I started recording, I just, we had a long phone conversation. I just told him, I said, I have to tell you, I mean, you probably, you may or may not have heard an episode about this. I was kind of interested in the idea of a compromise with some of these police abolitionists because I live in Portland and I think that is the road we were headed down until Renee Gonzalez was elected and until crime started going up and we realized that we had to refund the police, which we've fortunately had the um, ability to do, although not to the extent that we need, because we still don't have school, you know, resource officers, and a lot of these task forces have been cut and they haven't come back, and we have one of the lowest police forces per capita in the country. But anyway, I I was candid with him and I said I'm really concerned. I don't like public unions generally. That's just a, a mm-hmm. stance that that a stance that I have a, a opinion that I have that's subjective and and can totally be wrong and obviously that must sound very offensive to you but also I think it's it's troubling to people that police have a union head because they they are armed and they are they should be held to a higher standard and yet we've got these stories of police who are being protected by union heads and by unions who maybe shouldn't be carrying a gun and maybe shouldn't be in the police force Mm -hmm. and I don't know it just that's troubling to me and I, I expected a totally different guy on yeah. the other side of that telephone. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and and on the other side of this, I mean, I think he sat where I'm sitting and I sat where you're sitting, but on the, on the other side of this table and here, because what I was hearing from him is, I don't 
care for those people either. Right. I want nothing to do with right. bad cops. Right. My job is not good if I'm dealing with a bad police officer. Right. And I'm not going to defend a bad police right. officer. Right. I'm going to, my job is to look at the procedures, see if we follow procedures. And that's kind of it. And, and then actually it, it was Portland in 2020 was a great lesson for me because of course we've got this abolish police police culture that kind of takes hold. Obviously, the majority doesn't agree with it because Renee Gonzalez gets elected. Joanne Harnesty, who led that charge, is not reelected. So the majority does not agree with this, but a lot of us are quiet and just waiting in the wings, hoping to God the police aren't abolished or they don't all flee, as many, many of them were doing and taking early retirements. And now we are where we are. And I think a lot of us kind of looked around and we're like, I, myself included, not just meeting Aaron, but we're like, holy crap, these guys need a union. Yes. Yes. They have no bargaining yes. power in this city. And actually, they've been so severely neutered. I don't know. Yes. You know, Aaron can't even really do much for them. I. It's kind of amazing how much protection the ones who have thank God, stuck around, still need. Because the culture is literally against them. And now, as you know, and now I've completely derailed us no, from no, what no. we were talking about. But as you know, we also have this police account- police accountability commission that Joanne Hardesty got on the ballot that was overwhelmingly voted for. And I have talked to people. I went to city council to testify against it because I read, I, I voted against it, but I... I understand why people voted for it. They heard the words police accountability. I think we're all for, Aaron included, Aaron Schmaltz included, most PPB officers included, we're all for police accountability. I mean, most police, good ones, can't stand bad cops. It makes them look bad. It makes their job harder. They get caught up in garbage that they don't want to get caught up in. It's not good for them. And this police accountability commission that was set up by Joanne Hardesty as this ballot measure that has passed... I mean, they said there was a commission set up. It was staffed by people who, in my opinion, are defund police slash police abolitionists. Yes. And it gives people, ultimately, this commission is going to have the power. They they want the power to fire police and they want the power to discipline police. And I'm sorry, if you, if you put not, believe me, I think we should have, we had a civilian police review board and they, these Far left people, Joanne included, decided that that didn't go far enough. I think this was a step towards police abolitionism, mm-hmm. just like the defund movement, mm-hmm. just like the riots night after night after night. Mm-hmm. I think those were all steps towards, in my opinion, police abolitionism. We elect Renee and we're trying to turn this ship around. And in the meantime, we're still paying for all this stuff that yes. she, Joanne Hersey put in place that included this defund movement. We can't get any any police to work here we're doing hiring bonuses we've got incredible training we've always had incredible training but we can't get people here because they know it's an anti-police culture who would want to work here when the minute you leave central precinct you still get a middle finger when the minute you enter southeast portland you still get a middle finger i know because i did a ride-along and it was kind of i mean it's not like i didn't expect it but it was still kind of amazing to watch and just the screaming and the yelling and the epithets and just at one point we were pulled over on the side of the road and the officer that I was with was doing a report. So he had safely pulled over and it was, it was on night shift. It was in the middle of the night and a guy completely decked. This is so Portland. A guy completely decked out in super expensive bike gear is in the bike lane. There are no cars on the road. It's not a busy street. 
um, is banging on the police car and the officer says, can I help very nicely? Can I help you? Now, in a lot of cities, wouldn't have been so nice. But in this city, the officer was, can I help you? And the guy says, you are in, this is outrageous. You're in the bike lane and just starts screaming epithets like F you and F you and I, I PPB can go suck it. And, and it was just like, this is crazy. In any other city, this person would have navigated. I mean, around. he didn't seem mentally ill. It was weird that he was right. out riding around, but clearly he had them. I mean, I don't think it was stolen. He looked cleaned up. He was on a very nice bike. He had the money to outfit himself. And this was just an, a guy that's part of this anti-police culture that was just wanted to scream at a cop. But it was so, and I'm like, I was like sitting in the front seat, completely alarmed. It, I, I remember um, after the bike biker left I remember saying to the officer I it's really weird to me that you want to do this job (laughs) what did he say because I mean he said he just said he wants to make a difference and it was very important to him and when you ask them that when you ask them about how they stand the abuse and the spitting in their face and and ACAB type language they will say I just really believe in a police force and I believe in public safety and I feel like I'm a good police officer and I want to be here to make a difference and it's astounding. Um, I'm glad that they're here, but there aren't many left. And we're going to be paying for that for a long time. And another thing that we're going to be paying for is this police accountability commission. So now we have these people who are going to be in charge of the police, literally have a say over, um, it, they're interfering with things like um, the union contract. And then the Oregon legislature went and allowed them to do it. Most people don't know this. They passed a law allowing them to do this. And, and then I think there's like one more law that has to be passed or something. But I think it's just like understood that the legislature will do it because they think it's all in the name of police accountability. And I think what people don't understand is there's only so much these people can take of, of people who don't know anything about policing. Yes. I mean, the question was asked at city council by, I think, one of the counselors to the police accountability commissioners. Have you done a ride along? And the answer was no. Yes. And we wouldn't expect anybody yep. to because it's too traumatic for us. And it was like, so you you have you not only do you not understand police officers' perspective, and as Aaron explained, the standard is reasonable police officer. So not only are you unwilling to put yourself in the position of a reasonable police officer, but you're unwilling to find out what the job even yeah. might entail. They're cowards. They are cowards. Period. And I, when did you do that ride along? Summer last summer. Okay. Not so not this last summer, but the summer of. Uh, 2022. And I, you know, it, it really does highlight how stereotypes are dangerous because I remember we covering, you know, when, when Joanne and and everybody agreed to defund GVRT, right. I was the gun violence reduction team. So that would have been like, that was like our gang team. Yeah. Because in Portland, you, all you do is rename things. Yeah. I, oh my God, I, what that was so frustrating to me. And finally I did do a story, well, not focused on why you can't say gang, but I did ask that in one of my stories. If you don't call something what it is, then how are you supposed to fix it? But um, what was the answer? um, What was the answer? Cut this part out because I don't, I don't, I didn't get a direct answer. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, I don't. Well, let's just go with, Okay, I'm sorry, what you were about to say. No, no, no. So we... So what I was going to say is with when we were in, you know, in 2020 and into 2021, 
I was talking to, you know, former members of GVRT because as soon, Chris and I, you know this, as soon as that was defunded and, and, and disbanded, shootings went up the next month. And they continue going this up. This was a thing at COIN. I was like, you guys, it went, they were in July, I think, is when they were disbanded. August, September, October. It just kept going up. And I was like, this is core. There is a correlation here. And we weren't allowed to say it. I mean, because nobody, could you prove it? No, but why couldn't somebody just, why couldn't we, it's common sense. Or ask a question, just say, hey, do you think there's any correlation here? It, yeah. And we finally started asking that a year and a half later, but because by then so many people had, like, had died. seen yeah. someone be shot or they'd heard somebody yeah. be shot. Right. And what I never understood about, you know, Joanne is like the majority, the overwhelming majority of people dying, uh, being shot and killed in this city are black men. Right. And I would talk to these GVRT uh, folks who were like, look, I've been doing this a long time. They just destroyed years of work. Because we have worked to get to know these these actors, these players in the gang community, right? Some of them have come out. Some of them are no longer in the life. But those that come out of prison, like, we keep an eye on them. We're friends with their families. We know their kids, right? Like, we are actually friends with some of these people. Like, we yeah. get to know them and have a heart for them, right? And you yeah, know... they want to see them do well. Right. And they, you know, and th they prevent those shootings from happening. And they destroy that, that, that decision destroyed years and years of work. But these are, like, it's like your conversation with Aaron, right? You wouldn't have known that with, unless you had a conversation with him. These weren't things I could really report, right? Well, I'm talking to this guy in GVRT because there's only so much time that, that you have, right? To, to tell a story. And a lot of times these just aren't things that people want to hear. So it, but it's disruptive to them, right? Right. Then they have to question what they've believed all this time. Yeah. And they have to do a reset. And what does that mean for them? And what does that mean right. for their family and their friends and their community? Right. And what will people think? Yeah. And we're paying for it. And I just wish, I just wish there was more of less of, I won't want to say outrage by the, the people in, in, by journalists, but just less complacency, less complacency because you're shaking your head. You agree with me? Good. Andy's shaking his head. I'm glad. Nodding his head. Yes. Just I just see so much complacency, and I wish that wasn't the case because, you know, we have the responsibility to hold these people accountable, and the voters, and the voters do too. So, anyway. And so you weren't told to portray things necessarily no. explicitly no. in a certain way, but was there a push from producers to portray yeah. things in a certain light? Yeah. There was always producer pushback um, because some of these producers were um, what I like to call Antifa, Antifa sympathizers. And if you would go against the narrative, there would be like the Antifa narrative or explain certain things, you know, like this is what's happening. Well, you know, it, 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 they would just downplay it. Like it was kind of like, a, a, you know, a resistance movement. And this is just, these are just talking points from the right. I'm trying to think of specific examples, but um, 
Right. This was Selma. This is the Civil Rights right. March. Right, right, this right. This is the next Martin Luther right. King movement. Right. And so how dare we right. question what's going on here because we're going to look so bad. Right. We're going to look like somebody who spoke out against Rosa Parks here. Right, right. And, and that was kind of we, there was the de- understanding. There was definitely... There was no complacency whenever it was like a far right rally or a Proud Boys rally. There was always like, well, get there and, and again, unspoken, get there and make them look as bad as you can, right? Um, when it was both sides who were doing equally bad things. And I'm going to tell you right now that probably any journalist in this city would say, mm, probably not like well, Lama Week or, you know, very far, far left we, uh, leaning. But I, I mean, I've heard other reporters say this, if you are caught in a battle between the two, like Antifa and, and proud, not proud boys per se, but the far right folks, like the far right folks don't like you. They think you're fake news. Like they believe that narrative, but they're not going to hurt you. And they're going to protect you from the people who are trying to hurt you, which Antifa was cons. They will, they will hurt you physically hurt. I got attacked my security guard and it was right down here on salmon and NATO. Um, thank God I had, I'd gotten way too far from my security, um, because I want to get close. That was a part of the problem too. We couldn't, we eventually weren't able to get very close because they would hurt us. Um, they would, they would get so threatening that we would just have to stay back. And that was another thing that really drove me insane. Right. Because you can't tell, you can't, there's not, there's just not accuracy. Right. When you, when you can't show what's going on, that's just so important. So I got too far from my security one day and was showing this, um, autonomous zone that they were building. And this was in 2021, they were building an autonomous, you remember that, right. And I, yeah, I was terrified it was going to turn out like Seattle. Yeah, it was, well, it was, it, I was too. I, and I don't know how it didn't. I don't either. I don't know how it didn't. I mean, maybe laziness, Portland's kind of lazy. I don't know. So, um, but there, this, I got, I had gotten too far from my security guard and I was filming this on my phone, this autonomous zone that they were building. And they came over, one guy came over, circled me with his bike. Of course, they're clad in black. They're in all black and circling me. Like, this is me and this is him circling me. And their faces are always covered. They're wearing masks. They're wearing ski masks. I had not been that scared in a long time. And thank God there was a security guard that had, he had just ended his shift and he saw what was happening. And he came over and he was distracting the guy. He's like, leave her alone, leave her alone, leave her alone. And finally he pushed this guy off his bike and then Antifa swarms and they beat the shit out of my security guard and I got away I like I had to run and um they started throwing stones at me and were like get that bitch get that bitch yeah and then I ran and ran and ran and then ran around the corner and there was somebody in their car he was like fuck around and find out I mean and nothing was my news director Nobody knew about that. Nobody knew that my, that I was attacked. That should have been news to that. That should have been put out in my newsroom and nobody knew about that autonomous zone. Like, so the people coming into work the next day, like in the morning, they were not warned like, Hey, don't come this way. Right. Because they're building this. And one of our reporters and her crew and her, her, her photographer were attacked. Right. This is the complacency that I'm talking about. Right. It's just, anyway, that's more internal politics, but anyway, that that should have been a story. Oh, think yeah, many Front things that happened. Yeah, the lasers that they would point in our eyes. Those, I mean, 
But yeah, it should have been a story, right? But it's... People don't understand those cause blindness. There's a reason why you're not allowed to point lasers at planes. Right. Well, I think one of those guys got a federal, pretty extensive federal sentence for hurting a federal officer with that, with a laser. Anyway. Yeah, I I read about like some blindness and it didn't surprise me at all. But no, to, you know, to everybody who, you know, wondered if we had talking points and no, um, the, we, there is nothing, again, it's, they're pretty apathetic, right? They're like, just go out and do your thing. But there were some things that should have been headlines that were absolutely ignored. And that's why, you know, you, I had Twitter, um, which we have Twitter and could tweet, you know, what was, what was happening in the hours that we weren't live on the news. But, um, Twitter also obviously got me in trouble. So, but you were written up formally with HR Mm -hmm. because of the tweet from 2020 about the anti-Semitism coming Mm -hmm. from BLM. Yeah, yeah. And so I had assumed when I read your most recent tweet, when you talked about leaving Coin, I thought, oh, she's leaving Coin because she's obviously right. passionate about this Hamas attack and she's going to want to talk about it candidly. Yeah. And but no, you had resigned before then. I it's I mean, it's a little sticky and I don't know how you want to get into this because I I truly had like um, I snapped I don't want to say snapped mentally, but I got to a point I couldn't handle coin anymore. The people I work with are extremely nice, but telling you the same story every single day and they don't care about our safety. We would bring this up a lot, a lot, a lot. All, my fellow reporters and I, hey, it's not safe for us to do live shots on the corner on anywhere in Portland. You, you, you put up a camera anywhere in the city and you are a sitting duck. Now, if we're at a police scene where there's a large police presence, okay, let's have a live shot because there's something to show. But when there's not something to show, when you see the reporter standing there at four or five and six, 10 and 11, just saying, hi, Jeff, this is what I learned today. And then they throw to, you know, the news package that's been put together. There is no point for that reporter to be there. They are not showing something behind them. They are not showing something that is happening now that is active. You do not need to be live. But, well, these, all, these studies that they do say that viewers like to see a live reporter. So I put my life at risk because we know there are crazy people all around this city and you put a big camera up and you are, it's like a moth to a flame, right? Constantly. I had twice, uh, one reporter had a gun pulled on them and a photographer had a gun pulled on them a, a separate occasion. One reporter was hit with, um, has been shot with a pellet gun. Um, and these were, were instant, these were situations that were not told to, like they were isolated. They were siloed. We didn't know about it until we would talk amongst, amongst ourselves. And you know, the, the one reporter had her, her, somebody like verbally assaulted her and then peed on her car. Like just, and those are, those are a dime a dozen, those stories. I was constant. Your just head is on a swivel all the time as you have this microphone in your hand. And so when they did not take that seriously and they did not, we would, we would blow the whistle all the time. Like, Hey, please do something about this. And they just would not take it seriously. Again, they would say, for plausible deniability sake, say, hey, your safety is the most important. If you don't feel safe, then don't do your live shot. Okay, well, wh- come on now. So I got I reached a point where telling the same story over and over and over, nothing getting done, nobody really, not really feeling that passion from, from my counterparts, right? That we, hey, we need to, 
we really need to really hold these people accountable, right? Um, and the safety thing. I just, I, I just had a moment where I said, I'm not coming into work anymore. I'm done. Mentally, I'm done. I am burned out. And I went on leave. And I, there's no way I would have ever gone back. I was, I mean, probably don't put that in there. I went on leave and didn't come back. And they said, if you don't come back on October 9th full time, then you are, if you don't come back on October 9th full time, then you're terminated effective that day. And I was like, okay, this is great because I didn't know if I needed to resign. I didn't know. I was stuck. I was kind of in a purgatory. Do I resign? You know, I know, I know that my time has expired, right? That I'm legally um, allowed. And get this, Kristen, don't air this, but you're a lawyer. I'd like your opinion on this. So I tweet all this and I'm like going crazy on social media about Israel. And I think I'm not an employee. Okay. And I, my bio and my name, my picture are still up. And sometimes they just don't, they just take their time taking that stuff down. They forget about it. Because you had already resigned. Well, I was fired technically. Like they were like, Hey, if you don't. Oh, and you didn't come back. I didn't come back. So you thought, okay, well my employment's over. Yeah. And I paid, I Monday on Monday, October 9th, I paid full price for all my prescriptions. I thought my insurance was, you know, canceled. And I, this is wild. So, and I'm tweeting, I'm calling coin out, tagging them in these things, these like social media posts. And I'm like, why haven't they taken my bio down? That's crazy. So I emailed the HR lady yesterday and I'm like, take my bio down, please now. And she's like, oh, you're not fired. Um, actually, we sent you this, this is crazy. We sent you a letter on October 13th. They Extending had, your leave or what? No, no, no. Just saying that they had received information from the um, insurance company, the disability insurance company, that, um, and I can stay, I, like, I'm not fired. What happened is my oh, doctor, my doctor, my doctors are like, you can never go back to news, essentially, like, you know, full time, especially in this city. Um, and so you had, we won't air this, you had a... <laughs> I just want to understand, like, personally, as some of you cares about you, you had a medical doctor opine to you that this was hurting your health, that working in the news important oh, yeah. was hurting your health? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, same thing happened to one of my colleagues, and she actually resigned. I couldn't resign, but she had a – her partner was like, you need to resign. I will support you while you find another job. And she didn't want to because that's, you know, that's – demoralizing to have your boyfriend support you. I mean, and so, but she, and that's your career. I mean, you're so proud of it. You should be proud of yours, but she, the safety thing, another thing, my my news director told her, you're the only one who seems to care about safety. And she, yeah, which was crazy because we'd had multiple meetings with him and she, she went to a doctor and this is a girl, like she's great at her job and she just she went to the doctor and they said you are you have complex PTSD like she was so depressed and anxious she's like I have to go to a doctor I don't know what's wrong with me this was pretty recently and so she finally just resigned and I was like I'm not going to resign because I need my benefits right and I didn't know at that time that my mom had this diagnosis and so I didn't have a plan you know now I'm going to go back to Texas but they sent me a letter that I still haven't received they sent it to my P.O. box down down here, and a certified mail. They sent me one on September 25th, certified mail, saying that if I didn't return on Monday, October 9th, full time, 
I would be fired October 9th. Then they send me, so I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm thinking I'm fired all week. And I'm like, yay. Because your tweet was like the 10th. Yeah, I know. I'm like, yay, I'm free, hooray, I'm ready to get back to Texas. And then I, I email her yesterday. She emails me back. She's like, oh, we sent out this letter. You haven't received, you haven't signed for it, but it was delivered. Um, they sent out another certified letter dated October 13th that they received information excuse me new information so it's post but it's weird because it's, it's post, post the time that, your yeah. leave ran out which in which you constructively assume that you had been fired yeah so i'm going to give you my best friend is the best employment lawyer in okay. the say, the state um i'm going to give you her information just in case any of this blows back at you yeah, because I called it an just employment. Call Courtney. I called an employment lawyer when I got this first letter, and I was like, "Are they allowed to do this? They probably are, but just want to check." She's like, "Yeah, they are. Like, you might want to file, try and file workers' comp because." And I was like, "No, I'm not doing it. I just want to be done." And so, yeah, and I, I today I was like, I sent them a, a strongly worded email last night, like saying, you know, hey, I am. This is this is done. Like, I am done. I followed protocol. Isn't it weird that you have to say? <laughs> That you have to tell, spell it out for them. They're under this delusion that you're coming back, and you you're so well. They yeah. obviously so we won't air any, this. Like we won't air any of this, but like it's so fascinating. Is they're under this delusion that you're coming back, and you're ostensibly doing all these things that would really upset them, and, right? And like, that are against my contract. Yeah, and like, they're saying, "Well, where are you?" <laughs> they're and what I think what happened is they think. They got a letter from my doctor, right, after. And so they're terrified that you're going to sue them yeah. and say, you, you made me yeah. sick. Yeah, they're terrified that I, there's going to be a wrongful well, termination be. suit. And be. it's like, look, I had no intention of doing that. But if you but can, yeah, if you continue doing this, like backpedaling on this and not letting me go, because I can't get on, I mean, you know what? They put me in a precarious situation legally with the state because I I was like, I have to file for unemployment, right? Because right, you need money yeah, to and yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and my parents have been really, you know, really helpful, but like, I have to do that. And like, so I've essentially lied unknowingly yesterday on my unemployment application and it's crazy. Right. And so it's I, crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's next star corporate, but you know, this doesn't surprise you. It's the local HR person I'm talking to on behalf of the general manager and obviously next to our corporate. But she, yeah, we do have a local HR person. And it's just, it's pretty wild that I like have to fight to be fired. Like, to stay fired. I have to fight to stay fired. Um, also, I was wondering, are you still in, are the reporters still in that union? We try, no. And we were in talks right before I went on, on leave. We met with uh, SAG. We had a meeting with them, but what it comes down to is the anchors, and they the anchors have to be a part of that legally. They have to, you can't. Um, They're a part. Yeah. Reporters no, 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 no. Like if you if you if reporters want to unionize, it has to be, um, the anchors have to be a part of it as well because nice. it's like a talent thing, and so the anchors we couldn't get. There was no way. Like we tried to talk to the anchors about it, and they're just like, you know, like Jeff makes. Yeah, no way. Jeff may, and Jeff would, he makes so much money and he would definitely probably try. They tried to do it many, many years ago, right? And the top anchors persuaded everybody to vote against yeah, it. Yeah, I was just curious out of like a protection thing. I know, no, no. 
it, it's nice that you were, were were you under the union when you I were was with Mabbitt, yeah yeah I, honestly, yeah I had to join the union with Channel Eight too but I was not a fan of either one of the unions because I'd pay a lot of money. YouTube, yeah, and it's like they can't get anything done right now. Next star, it won't um, they were bargain. When I left in oh, isn't that? I know. Yeah. I know. That's. I wondered if that was the yeah. case. Yeah, <laughs> it's wild how bad that company is. So but. you and we don't have to. I mean, are you comfortable saying that? Uh, why? I mean, you don't need to talk about your diagnosis, but are you comfortable? with us jumping back in and talking about how, I mean, maybe you could just couch it as like, I just can't take live. Like, it's not good for me to live here. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, I will say that. Yeah, and I don't want to, obviously, I don't want to violate your medical confidentiality or anything, but I just think, I mean, I. it's so funny when you sat down and you were like, why are you still here? I ask everybody that, because I, all the time, I, f I think, I'm sure I told Andy this when I went on his show, well, let's jump in because this is good for air. Yeah, one thing before you get, yeah. when you keep drifting in here, that's why I keep moving this way. Like you're just moving in. Oh, I'm sorry. But it's okay. It's not like. I'm drifting in your frame. I'm just saying, yeah. Like if here, you're I'll go this way. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. No worries. That's why I don't do video. <laughs> I know, right? It's stuff you don't think about. It's stuff I don't think about. So, Jenny, it's so interesting because. I had assumed that based on your tweet, you were leaving coins so that you could be free to talk about the Hamas attack. And it sounds like that was just fortuitous and that maybe, you know, we were talking off air before we started recording about how, like, why is anybody still here? Why is anybody still in Portland? And I have, I have practical reasons that I'm still here, but I'm curious about the same thing for you. And I was kind of dying to find out if you were going to be doing an independent media company like Brandy Cruz in Washington or anything like that. I don't have plans to do that right now. I do want to do something in journalism. Journalism is so important, but long, long form is, is important as well. And I think that's where we're going as a society, right? Um, I think people are seeing through corporate media um, and we think that viewers are stupid. We really do. There's this belief, or what I've always been taught, is that the average viewer has a third to fifth grade reading level. So you have to speak at their level. You have to make things very simple. In fact, I lost a lot of my vocabulary when I got into news because, you, you know, you don't use it, you lose it. And um, so we think viewers are, you know, are stupid, but they see through it. They see through it. So people are, they're leaving, you know, they're finding other sources of media. I do think down the road, I will get into something else. Um, but for right now, I'm going to go back and be with my family and probably um, more than likely do some public relations work. Um, but yeah, I can't live in Portland anymore. I mean, my family has been saying, why are you there for years, right? Um, but it is, I'm getting, I'm finally at this place where it really is no longer safe and don't wear out your welcome. And I will miss it because it is a beautiful place, especially outside of Portland. And this city is still very beautiful. Um, but it's not, it's just, I don't know, how do I say it? Um, the city is very beautiful, but it's not worth it mentally and physically, right? And the news business here in Portland really did impact my health, my mental health, just wondering all the time, are, my, are we going to be attacked? Are we going to be hurt? I mean, not just at the BLM rally. That was every night, right? We had to have 
two or three security guards every night. But day to day here in this city, am I going to be hurt while I stand in front of this camera and try to report the facts to the to the public um, and just the company not caring about that, right? When we've told them over and over and explained these incidents, people are held, like, like I said, reporter, um, like I said, photographer had a gun pointed at him, reporter, another reporter another time was threatened with a gun, um, Somebody shot one of our reporters shot with a pellet gun. It just got to a point where it was it was not sustainable for me anymore. And yeah. I'm really sorry to I know so many people listening and watching are gonna be really sorry to hear that because we all like you so much I appreciate that. and appreciated your um, work so much. But obviously you I think everybody also like me, uh, who's probably watching or listening to this feels maybe a little envious and also uh, maybe has already left or is thinking about leaving and um, is sympathizing with you. I don't think anybody in their right mind would say, no, you need to keep keep uh, reporting or just, well, you, you, you could just keep living in Portland. Just shut your eyes and ignore it all. Although I do think it's interesting. Like, what do you think it is about you? Is this cultural? And I, I don't know because I'm like a multiple generation native. So I don't, there must be something wrong with me that I didn't inherit the culture. What is it about you that allows you to keep your eyes open and see things in a way where, I mean, you probably could keep living here if you were able to shut down and not process what was going on around you. Yeah. I think I could continue to live here if I had, you know, a, a group of friends like you, you know, and, you know, try to live in this bubble, but that's not who I am. I can't live in a bubble. I have to see what's going on around me and being, be involved in every person's world. Right. And I think that's at the, at the heart of any journalist, you know, be in every person's world. And so I, I can't do that. I can't just, I mean, I can do it for a minute. Like I told you, I went up to the West Hills and lived for a couple of months. I had a condo up there and it was nice to be in that bubble. And that's what I needed to continue to, it was kind of a respite. Um, but I, I can't, I would not be able to stay out of it. I wouldn't be able to not see, I wouldn't be able to close my eyes. Um, and I wouldn't be able to see the, the things that are the way that we're moving forward, like with Renee, for example, um, and this campaign, the Portland looks like Schmidt campaign and that, that group that's behind it, everybody wants to like, even the folks in the media, like, um, want to say, well, these people, what's the dark, they have dark money behind them, or Renee is anti-homeless, you know. Um, when you see that, it's like, we're finally making a, a move in the right direction, and you're poo-pooing it, you know, and that to me is is just... It, it, anti-homeless, because he doesn't want to see them in tents and tarps, like, anytime somebody says, that's so cultural to me, yeah. and ideological to me. Right. So, so do you think other reporters who can not be impacted the way that you're impacted is that is that a cultural slash ideological bent that they just happen to have that allows them to be covered in krypton basically i don't know if it's cultural Kryptonite. i don't know that it's i don't know if it's cultural or if it's just your nature i think probably it's just more my nature i just i've always been that way i just want to be in every person's world 
and, you know, even see the good and, and you know, find the good in everybody. I, I really struggle because there are some like bad people and some people that will try to malign you, you know, and I'm like, they're not your friend, but you, you know, Jenny, they're not your friend. Right. Um, but you still see good in them and like, like them, um, for the good that they have. So I think it comes down to the individual. Again, going back to stereotypes, like this is why stereotypes are dangerous. I mean, stere- perception is reality a lot of the time, but like it goes back to stereotypes. It, all, it, it really is about the individual. The one thing I have to mention before we wrap up, my neighbor, going back to police, my neighbors yesterday had some domestic incident and they um, they rent our garage. So they this domestic incident like spilled over into <laughs> my spilled over into my driveway and the cop car is blocking my driveway and there's three cops out in my driveway with my neighbor and I was on the phone with my dad and I walk outside and I said what is going on and the cop is like nothing it's not a big deal and I knew it was domestic anyway after the cops left the uh, the neighbor came over to talk for a minute and he's like wow the cops were so nice I'm so glad that they came because they were just so nice I guess not every cop I guess not every cop is bad so he had lived with this belief because he just followed the crowd and didn't actually do the work himself, try to find the truth himself, right? You know the truth because you sit down and have these conversations, right? Um, he believed that the, the call cops were bad for all these years, you know, and it's, don't get me started on the cop thing, especially as a woman. You see, as a woman, because you wrote, you rely on the police to protect right. you. What am I supposed to do if somebody... Who are you going to call? Right, right. You're going to call 911 and you're going to be on hold for God knows how long. And then once you get through to them, how long is it going to take for an officer? An officer is going to have to leave wherever he's... The emergency call he's on because yours is going to be a priority likely. And you just, you don't know. As a woman, I just, I can't, I can't risk that anymore. So people listening or watching might say, okay, so you are, you're going back home to Texas and you, before you were a reporter in Oklahoma and you were obviously successful there. And of course, crime occurs in Oklahoma and Texas. What do you think is different about those places as opposed to Portland? And, and why is, did Portland put you where you are as opposed to say, Oklahoma. There's crime in every, and uh, there's crime everywhere. The difference in Portland and Oregon is there's this belief that there's this belief that the criminal is somehow, the criminal somehow falls into, let me start over. There's crime across the country in every city. The difference in crime in Portland and in Oregon is that the criminal, a lot of the time, gets a pass. You cannot depend on the justice system here to protect you as a, as, as a law-abiding citizen. And that is scary. And there's this, you know, this ethos that like, you know, like criminal justice reform is about, you know, in a way making the criminal the victim. Well, we don't know what happened in their past. Well, if you are a violent person capable of hurting other people, you don't get any kind of a pass. And I wish that it's just like the Israel stuff. Like there's not two sides here, right? And we, I don't know that anyway, so. Thank you. Thank you. What else do you want us to know that maybe we haven't talked about? I don't think there's, you know, anything else that we haven't said that everybody else in the city hasn't said, right? That that every, re- <laughs> every reasonable and rational person hasn't said in this city. Um, 
I, again, I'm, th- I'm really thankful for what I learned here, right? And what do you think you learned? <laughs> I learned that, I don't know how to say this. I learned that, uh, I don't want to say woke left because then that makes me sound like Fox News. I don't, I learned that radical left policies they are real. You know, you would hear about this living in more conservative places. You would hear, oh, that's going on there because of this policy. And then you come, well, okay. I think I've learned that radical left policies are destructive to communities. And you would hear about this when, you know, living in other states, um, more conservative states, you hear about this, you know, hear it on the news that this is happening in, you know, California, Oregon, but then you actually see it for yourself and experience it for yourself. I've learned that. I've also learned that you have to, like I said earlier, when I was talking about, you know, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the war, it's like, it's just, there has to be a separation to me, in my opinion, there's a separation of the herd. And personally, I just have to start standing up, right? I can't go along to get along anymore. Like I did in my newsroom for so long. Um, I learned that most of the time perception is reality. Um, I might not have received talking points and been told how to report things, but there was a bias all the time. And when you tried to correct it, it wasn't corrected, right? It wasn't, you know, I wasn't in charge of that. Um, so, and I've, I, you know, I've learned that Oregon is beautiful and there are a lot of beautiful people here, but a radical left policies really destroy communities. And I do think, you know, there, I like, there are a lot of things about, um, you know, democratic policies that I like in Oregon. I mean, like the, the safety, the social safety nets here are incredible and I'm thankful for them and, you know, personally, but what's happening along the West coast, like you see the migration, right? Like when I started seeing people migrate in 2020 from California to Texas, it scared me because I knew I would probably eventually go back there. And I thought you, after years and years of voting bad policy, you've ruined your state and then you're going to migrate to mine and do the same thing i hope not i mean you know i still want to have affordable housing i still want to have a justice system that protects me you know so yeah that's what i've learned (laughs) many things many things jenny thanks for coming on i think you're really brave super courageous you're a great reporter i'm sad that you're leaving but i'm thrilled for you thank you and i'm a little envious but mostly I'm just as a big supporter and a fan of yours over the years. I'm really glad that you're going home and you're going to find some peace. Thank you. Peace. That is, that is the word. Yes. I hope so. I appreciate you, Kristen and hang in there and keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and and not, yeah, I know. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Jenny. Thank you.